Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Our guest today is a very, very special guest. We're going to be talking about the NFL life, transitioning from the NFL into real estate investments and other investment opportunities, branding yourself as a professional athlete, and a whole lot more within the context of professional athletes getting into the world of real estate and also other investments. But before we do that, please, please, please like review this podcast. This podcast runs on reviews. We've been getting a ton of feedback from people who are learning a lot from our podcast, but we want to hear more. We want to hear more from you, the listeners. That allows us to bring more high quality guests to our show and provides more actionable content for you to go out there and be a real estate mogul. So today we have Brandon Copeland. Now, Brandon is a good friend of mine. He and I started training around the time when I was getting into the NFL, training for the combine. And he is now a 10-year NFL veteran, Ivy League professor, philanthropist, entrepreneur, and is a true leader in his community, spreading financial literacy and equipping others with the information they need to build a better future for themselves. Brandon has used his production company, Copeland Media, and strategic partnerships to expand the reach of his financial education course to 90,000 people and counting while building a nine-figure real estate portfolio and starring in the Netflix series Buy My House during his NFL career. He is also a member of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council and is a Forbes under 30 member. Brandon, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Hey, I appreciate you. I'm sorry you had to, you know, read all that, man. I, I think I, I give you chills, though. You have a great background. We definitely have to have our listeners um, give them some context about the work that you did, especially from being in the NFL, still being in the NFL, and also investing. You and I have had lots of conversations offline about real estate and other opportunities, but For our listeners who don't know who Brandon Copeland is, give our listeners a little bit context about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, one, you know, first and foremost, man, it's an honor, truly an honor to be here and and to be talking and having this type of conversation with you. You know, I think that uh, when you think about when you pose that question of who I am, think about when we met, you know, we were in that gym training with Troy. Shout out to Troy Jones, senior and junior, but we were both chasing a dream. And for us, it was bigger than just playing on the field, right? And not many people know this, but that year I got down to about 243 bucks in my bank account. And to hear you say some of the things that you said in the the bio, right? It's like, who would have ever thought? You know, like who would have ever thought in that gym, you know, we probably were eating rotisserie chickens from Sam's Club for lunch and stuff like that. Just trying to get an opportunity, trying to get a shot. And and who would ever thought? So when I think about who I am or what I'm trying to give to my children, you know, my two boys, I got the heart of a lion, bro. Like 
there's nothing that I see that I want to do that I feel like, oh, I can't get it done. And I don't say that because I know that it comes off to some people as like really cocky, but it's something that I've actually had to work on and throughout my football career and also just throughout my life of just accepting that like anything I want, I can really go get it. And I just got to be willing to take it step by step and go day by day. As you know, in the NFL, it's all about consistency. You know, I was an undrafted free agent in 2013, and you look up 10 years later, it's only literally from that draft class, it might be me and one other player with Baltimore. Those players that were drafted with the Ravens might be me and one other player. Like, it's very few people that make it that long, but I, I attribute that to consistency and discipline and putting a goal in your mind and not being swayed from that, not being swayed from your standard for yourself. And so, when I think about me is is I have my own vision, I have blinders on, and I will not let anyone deter me from the vision I have for my life. Is everything perfect? No. Can we be better? Yes. Could I learn more? 100%. I am not the smartest person in the room. However, I am smart enough to know when to ask questions and when to shut up and also when to, to take over. And so for me, that's Brandon Copeland in a nutshell. I'm a go-getter. I'm going to get it done. Difficult takes a day. Impossible takes a week type of dude. That's awesome. You know, I, I had the pleasure of seeing your work ethic, you know, getting the front seat to that and definitely have seen you grow, like you mentioned, from, you know, we were talking uh, offline a little bit from being a broke Madden player, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back when we were training to now being a professional, being on CNBC, being on Netflix. I mean, the growth that you've had in your, you know, your life has been exceptional. But take me to the point where you decided that real estate was a thing for you. You're playing in the NFL, making good money. You know, why real estate specifically and not other, you know, asset classes? Yeah, so 2013, I came into the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of the University of Pennsylvania. When I was in college, I interned for Union Bank of Switzerland, UBS, uh, as one of the largest wealth management banks in the in the world, like I want to say the country in the world. And I was a stock sales and trading summer intern, summer analyst. And when I came into the NFL, I was practice squad. And, and even if I was active, like I was undrafted, like I didn't think that I was going to come in and be, you know, a hundred million dollar man the next day. So I always planned on using football as a means to an end, even in high school. So when I came into the NFL, I'm like, okay, I'm getting startup capital. I'm going to take this and I'm going to invest it in the stock market. That's what I did these summers of internships for is to learn, learn, learn and to invest and grow my own money. And so I was day trading options. I was day trading Bank of America, Nike, Ford, um, some others probably at that time, too. But those were the main names. I would just literally follow the ebbs and flows and I just try to do calls and puts on them and stuff like that. Long story short. I had a lot of success that first year. I'm talking certain days I'd come in and, uh, you know, Tuesdays, the, most of the time it's your off day unless you plan on a Monday or a Thursday. Right. And there'd be days on Tuesdays I'd go in, I'd wake up early, watch some CNBC. And by noon, I'm up three, four thousand dollars in my portfolio. And I'd cool. Let's go to the mall. Let's go do something else. Right. And what happened was, man, I'm gonna keep it a stack with you. What happened was I went to a Kanye West concert, brother. I went to a Kanye concert and uh, 
I wasn't messing with Ye at the time, right? Hopefully, we don't get your podcast banned. But long story short, at the time, it was the week Ye started ranting. He said, you know, I've done more for Black history than Barack Obama. He went off on Swag. And anyway, he had a concert in Nashville. I was playing with the Titans at the time. And the vets said, Cope, you going to come to this concert? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not supporting that dude. I'm a rookie. I'm not going to make my life harder over a free concert that the vets want to pick us up in a party bus to go to, right? Like, I'm going to go to the concert. Long story short, he does go on a rant there at the concert. And homie, he put the battery in my back, brother. He had me. I was believing the vision. I was like, oh, I see what you're talking. They holding me back. I got you. I got you, right? And so the next day, or a few days later, I end up taking a large position, largest position I ever took in some Nike call options. It was a great call. Everything, the fundamentals, all, you know, everything was right. However, two days later, the entire market went down 2% because of some geopolitical tensions going on over in Greece. And so I know there's a real long-winded answer. You know me, I'm long-winded, so I apologize, right? But at that point, I'm like, yo, I had no control over this. I literally could not control anything going on over in Greece right now. This play is good. I invested in Nike because it was the World Cup and Brazil had was a Nike team. Nike owned four or five of the top 10 teams in the World Cup. They had their banners all over Brazil, all of that type of stuff. Like it was a great call. And Again, that experience of literally having no power over my money at that point um, and wiping out five figures of money and earnings for the year, that hurt. It hurt a lot. And so that's what originally turned my interest to real estate was, okay. well, at least if I'm going to lose money in real estate, like, well, I get to pick the colors. I get to pick the carpets. I get to pick the floors. Like if we lose, it's on me and I can deal with that. I can go to sleep being pissed off at myself, but being pissed off at something that I have no control over? Nah. So that in, in January 2014 is when I started getting interested in real estate and spent years of just doing research and due diligence, many nights and days at Home Depot, honestly, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what, what's these nails and why these cost more than this? And what's this carpet? And why is this thicker? And you know, what are these windows? And trying to just understand, because as you know, you know, as athletes, we're just afraid to be cheated out of our money. And so spent time trying to go look at properties and understand what I should be looking for before purchasing and walkthroughs and, and things of that nature. And then all eventually got the gumption. Uh, we bought our first property, which is a home we lived in, in New Jersey, uh, December, 2016. And then in 2017, we did our first co-investment real estate project. Um, I put 40 grand as dang, they're a hard money loan into a business. And then really started diving in, just learning as much as possible. Did another 35 grand investment into somebody's rehab within their project. And then after that, just jumped off the ship and started taking on projects myself. So that's kind of the trajectory right there. 2017, we ended up co-investing in two projects, buying five. We did a six-figure profit in our first year. And at that point, I was hooked, you know? The thing I like about real estate is that um, it's a business that allows you to bet on yourself. Um, and I think for people who are more comfortable with betting on yourself, I think real estate is a perfect opportunity to invest in, right? So you made a great point that 
you know, when you invest in stocks, you're investing in someone else's company and uh, something happens in the news and the stock ticker goes down. Well, that doesn't really happen in real estate, right? Because you're the one that's essentially controlling your destiny, mm. right? And I think that goes in line a lot with a lot of athletes in terms of their personality and their trajectory to success, right? Because for us to get to the level that we have gotten to, we had to do a high level of betting on yourself at some point, 100%. right? So I, I personally feel that, you know, that real estate is a great opportunity for athletes to leverage some of those disciplines and skill sets and all the things that we've learned in the, in the professional sport context into the world of entrepreneurship. And so I know that you started off in the residential space and then started getting into more and more commercial opportunities. You've been in light tech transactions. Um, I know that you've also, you know, passively invested in some land development, mm -hmm. et cetera, as well. You know, talk a little bit about that, right? Because you started off as someone who was a little bit active in the field, right? There's this picture that's circulating around the media where you're holding maybe a clipboard with your brother who's, you know, your partner and you're in projects. And I know that you had something in Detroit that you may, you know, want to touch on as well that I think an, uh, athletes can definitely learn from. Walk us through that journey as to why you kind of switched to the passive investment side and maybe that, you know, situations in the past, you know, something happened that, you know, made you think that, you know, the passive route was something for you, right? Maybe touch on that a little bit more. Yeah, no. See, so, yeah, I was hands on. And I think that for me, you know, you want to spend time learning as much as you possibly can. And, and I think that my gift one of my gifts is just staying curious. Like I'm always going to ask questions. Like I'm always going to be, well, what was behind that? Dang, y'all doing it like that? And I remember there was a guy, Rob Sims, former NFL player. He was one of the guys I co-invested with early on. And, but I remember he just took me on a ride around, around Detroit and showed me some of the properties he had. He had recently retired and he was just showing me, Hey, I'm co-investing in this with Megatron. I'm co-investing in this with Golden Tate. I'm co you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And then he took me to an apartment building that they were building. Like we had to put on the hard hats, go in. And I'm just like, dang, like there's levels to this thing. He took me to one house where they were knocking off the entire top and building the second level right on top and then adding the roof back to it so that they can increase the square footage, the bedroom size and everything like that. So literally on that one, one ride around Detroit, I get to see there's really levels to this. Like, oh, okay. Like, and I think that for some of us, for most of us, that's just what we're lacking is exposure, right? If you don't know that it exists, then you can never visualize it and go achieve it. And then two, we also lack the understanding. And I remember Rob and I sitting in his office and having a really powerful conversation about this at the time. This is 2017, maybe spring of 2016, actually. For us as athletes, sometimes we understand collaboration and sense of a team, but we don't understand collaboration when it comes to our money. We don't look at the NFL as a joint venture mm -hmm. agreement. We think in order to own the building, like I got to really get all of my money together and I got to be able to afford the entire building as opposed to seeing like, well, no, you bring what you have. I'll bring something that I have. We'll go to the bank, get this loan. We'll do this, 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 right? And making sure that the deal works. And again, it's not something we get exposed to in schools. You just have to be in the right place at the right time and have the right mind to accept it. And so that's what helped me graduate, I guess, from residential flips to bigger and better um, projects. I won't even say better projects. 
bigger, larger scale projects, right? It's to each their own. Some of the residential issues that I dealt with, a lot of people talk about, you know, rental income being, you know, financial freedom and it's passive. And I remember one time we had our first rental, December 17th, 2017, we had a leak in it. Now this thing is brand new, renovated spot, but things happen, right? One, I don't want to be a slumlord. <laughs> you know, that's just not who I am. Two, it's about to be the holidays. It's Christmas coming around the corner. And so now I'm spending 12, 17, I'm spending time trying to get people in there to dry out the place, restore everything, cut open the wall, find leak, all of that type of stuff, get everything ready. And I'm like, this ain't passive. What you talking about? Right? Like, now, the, my tenants always paid, knock on wood, I've been fortunate in that regard. I know at some point that's not going, you know, that streak will end, unfortunately. That's just nature of the business if you've been in it for long enough. But that was one moment. And I remember when I called the insurance company, I called the insurance company and they said, hey, you know what? Like, you don't have an insurance with us. And I'm like, what you mean we don't have insurance with, it, with you? Like, we, when we set up the mortgage, like I'm paying every single month into my account like my mortgage it includes the the taxes and the insurance yeah no nah, they never called and set up the policy what so now i'm coming out of pocket getting everything restored the bank ended up coming back and reimbursing it like four months later but that even in my mind was like oh like i that was my first real time understanding what people said like it takes money to make money because if i didn't have it just sitting in there from an nfl check the business would have been over. I would have called homie back like, yeah, my bad on the pipe. Like, good luck, bro. <laughs> you know? So again, little things like that just made me start thinking, okay, if I'm going to do rentals, it's got to, I got to be making more of a threshold every single month. Is this really passive? Do I really want multiple tenants and things like that? All right. Where am I going to achieve the lifestyle that I'm actually looking for and the mental freedom that I'm actually looking for? And the also the returns that I, I would love to seek, right? That monthly recurring revenue. And so that's what propelled me to start looking for bigger projects. Originally, I was looking for simple things. I think that us in the, the Black community, we want the sexy things, right? We want the chains. We want the cars. We want the nice stuff, right? We want to brag about, I got this many doors, this many units. Right now, I'm looking for storage units. I'm looking for parking lots. I'm looking for things that are going to be there. That I could tell my children, yo, just repaint the white lines in the parking lots every 50 years. Don't fuck it up. Right. Like that's what I'm looking for now. Right. I'm looking for peace as that little meme goes. So I dab, dib and dab, I guess, in a lot of different areas right now. But I think that that's the mindset is like, all right, like everything that glitters ain't gold. And so if you have the ability to pick and choose your battles, then just choose wisely. Because sometimes you, I mean, you know, shoot, you're a real one, right? Like we understand there's some people I've met a bunch, right? But there's some people that get these platforms and they, it's a lot of fugazi stuff going on around them. Not calling anybody out, but you know, they talking about things that they own that they don't really own, or they talking about things that they own that are, they acting like they're doing well, but they ain't really, ain't really doing well. And for me, I'm like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I want to make sure I go home to my wife and my kids and we good, period. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for consistency. I'm looking for longevity. And I'm looking to, as my buddy said, I'm a hustler right now. Grind all day, 24-7, dream chaser. 
as my buddy said, at some point, your ass better catch the dream. Like you, you don't want to be 60. I'm still getting it, brother. You know, nah, like, so that's my mindset. It's like, I got the hustle mentality now and I'm hustling. And that's why I keep staying curious. And I'm hopefully I'm always going to be curious. And, and the hustle is a different type of hustle. It's more of a mental hustle than a physical hustle, but I'm trying to catch the dream, get that thing right, make it cash flow. Cool. Let's go get another one. And let's go play Monopoly in this world. And so I look at myself really as the bank and I'm just putting my money to work for me, take me, putting these soldiers out. Y'all give me a return and we go put all y'all back out again and get your ass out the house. You got to go earn something in this crib. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you giving that context, man. And that's what I call growth, right? Because for me as well, you know, when I, when I got into the real estate industry, I was trying to do everything by myself, right? Mm. The construction, the management, the leasing, the sale, everything. But as you grow, and it all comes down to how you want to build your real estate business, yeah. right? Some people want to be in the weeds, right? Some people don't want to be in the weeds, right? The goal of getting into real estate was to get financially free, but part of that too is also uh, time freedom as well, right? Because you can make a lot of money, but you could also be working another job as well, right? And it's you know, probably no difference from you working for, you know, a corporate position, but the difference would be that you, you're obviously making more money. But I say that to say that it's all about building a real estate business by design, right? Mm -hmm. If passive investing is more of your thing, then focus on that, right? Because real estate, like you mentioned, it is not passive. It's only passive if somebody else is doing all of the work, all of the managerial aspects to real estate, and you're just showing up with the check and maybe just reading some reports and just looking over your investment, right? right. That's really what real estate was supposed to be. But along the way of social media and all of the the glitz and, and the glams that are out there, it, it was told to, to be sexy, to be the person that's, you know, hanging the drywall or, you know, be the person that's, you know, putting the nails on the wall, mm -hmm. all of those things, which I think it comes down to, like I mentioned, you know, how do you want to create your real estate business by design? Right. Like, I think that that's one of the things I would also, you know, I, I, I know you do an amazing job of this is encourage people to think about, right? Like, whether it's real estate or your nine to five or wh whatever it is, focus on the business, like, like fo focus on the money. And, and uh, what I mean when I say that, like, like I, I had a conversation with a, the CEO of like a major gym franchise that everybody would know. And he was talking to me about how some of his buddies, he had to talk to him about the financial education piece because some of his buddies are 60 year old doctors making one of which was making like 1.2 million a year and he cannot retire like he's actually technically broke like he has nothing saved he's been living if he is if he was making 1.2 he's spending 1.199 right like and hasn't put certain things away for retirement or anything like that so like again one of the things i found in detroit that I keep that perspective on is because sometimes it's like we just want to say we're a part of certain things. And, you know, I've watched a lot of HGTV. No offense. It's not an offensive to HGTV. They taught me a lot of things about different colors and different styles and different things of that nature. Things I should be thinking about budgets and all of that type of stuff, especially early on. But like I would I'd be in Detroit and I take a crib. 35 grand. We did one crib, 35 grand. We put 15,000 into it. We really probably could have put less into it because it was a four bedroom. The lady 
Before there, she had installed a bedroom on the ground floor, put a handicapped tub in it because she was just older. And we changed that handicapped tub. The person that moved in was a, a father and a daughter. Father needed a handicapped tub. So it was like, dang, we could have actually probably saved money there. We didn't know, right, clearly. But we were literally able to just do a facelift on this bad boy. We turned around and sold it for 127 grand. Literally quickest, easiest flip of my life, right? Now, that's over 100% return. You know, like on HGTV sometimes, right? Like you put out 750 grand and then you put in $125,000 and you turn around and you make you $75,000 or $125,000, right? The percentages are different. And so that even to me at the time, I chose to do stuff in Detroit because I was physically there and I could see it. But make sure the business makes sense. When you were the bank, you're figuring out where can I get the best return for my money today, right? Whether as a bank, it's like, oh, I'm going to give Yannick a car loan today. Oh, I'm going to give this young lady a, a home loan today because I can get a different yield on my money right there. So just make sure the math maths, right? Like make sure the business makes sense of whatever you do. And that, you know, that alone hopefully will alleviate some headache and some stress because a lot of us, we get into things because we want to be a part of it and it looks good and it's going to sound really, really good at the networking event. It's going to sound really, really cool. Right. But it ain't really going it, the math ain't mathing. That's a really, really good point. Really good point. I think the, the point that you're trying to convey is that make sure that you're creating a profitable real estate business, yeah. essentially. Right. <laughs> and it's not about, oh, you know, I own a thousand units, but maybe I own one percent of a thousand. Well, you might as well just own 10 single families in that case. <laughs> right. So it's like the goal. I tell people this all the time. My goal is to create a real estate empire that is profitable. Right. And how I want to do that might be different from the next person, but whether you're in apartments, mobile home parks, self-storage, if you're just renting out parking lots, right, mm. then you have to focus on profitability and not necessarily chasing the shiniest object, right? Because maybe apartments might be the hot thing, but maybe you're not making a lot of money on apartments in your market. So you might have to go and do self-storage units, yeah. right? The Mogul Marathon is about creating a profitable business, and doing something in a way that creates a life by design. Mm. You know, what you touched on was spot on and I 100% agree. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash passive guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash passive guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. We know in the professional athlete space, you don't necessarily have a ton of time like during the season to vet a lot of deals and and look at opportunities. And historically, people have preyed on professional athletes. I know that there's certain situations that, you know, we're not going to bring up right now. But in the case of due diligence, you know, when you're making these investments, I know, how are you approaching due diligence maybe 
during the football season and then maybe in the off season as well? Is there any are there any differences and from a time perspective or how you're approaching it? I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so I try to make my process my process. Like these are my check boxes. So originally there was no process, right? Like it was just, oh, this looks nice. Okay, the numbers make sense. Comps, what are those? Right? Like, all right, well, let me look at this. Don't even know what I'm looking at per se, but I would sit down and you're gonna have to walk me through this. You want my money? You're gonna have to walk me through this mug, right? And over time, doing that time and time again, you start to develop like, okay, well, this is the list of things that I have to see before. I can even have a conversation with you about investing in it, right? Once I developed that, what I learned is that when you have a, I, I was, I mean, clearly I'm, I've been blessed, right? And, and I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that more in a way of like, when you have a consistent, steady income stream, it's easier for me to say no to deals. Like I don't have to force anything to happen. And I always valued and appreciated that because there was so much noise and so many people coming after me trying to get me to invest in deals, especially once articles and things like that started coming out that now, nah, like I don't have to force it in order to feed myself three months from now, eight months from now, two years from now. Like if the deal makes sense, the numbers make sense, we'll do it. If not, cool. I'm okay. Like we'll eat tomorrow. And so for me, every year or every I mean, really, almost every deal, the process gets better and stronger and stronger and stronger. First, I start with the investment return that I'm looking for at that time. Right. Originally, for flips, it was a minimum of thirty five thousand dollar return in profit. And if it wasn't hitting that threshold, we're not playing with it, because if I'm aiming for at least thirty five K and something messes up during the rehab. All right. Now we at twenty eight. Oh, dang. Now we at 21. Right. If I'm aiming for a 20K and something messes up during the rehab, now we at eight. Now we just hopefully we getting out alive. Right. So, again, I'm able to have and again, 35K. That was Detroit standards. Right. But I'm able to have a higher ceiling for or a higher tolerance of like, no, nah, I can say no to that. No, nah, I can say no to that because of my my you know playing income, so to speak, or consistent incomes. Develop the process over time. And now what the process looks like is we have a team of advisors and a team of relationships and partners where if it's a land deal or a large multifamily over 100 units type of thing, I have one person I go to for that. Right. If it is a multi unit under 100 units, I have a team that I go to for that. I own a development company. So the CEO of our company is going to go look at those deals and all of that type of stuff, right? Give me their opinion. And I also, I get multiple people's opinion. I want people poking holes in it. As you mentioned, like I'm in different pockets, so to speak, and there's no way for me to be an expert and go 30,000 feet deep at any one thing because I'm so, I'm spread thin, you know, which some people say is negative, but I just rely on extremely experienced people who actually have put in the time and invested in me and they want to see me do well because when I do well, we do well. And I just relied on on that to this point. And so, you know, I joke with people, I'm DJ Khaled. I'm just I just put the track together. You know, we're gonna put the bring the table, we make the table nice, and then I'm gonna go get some of the best in the world. Oh, come on, you jump on the track. Give me one verse. Okay. 
hey, cool. You talking too much. Come on, you give me somebody. Right. Like. And so that's what I do is I bring in the deals and then now I'm sorting them out and sending them to the advisors who can really poke holes in them. And they, you know, they hold no uh, they don't hold their tongue. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's a a great framework that you have that allows you to vet the deals, um, especially with all the attention and all the deal flow that you must be getting on a weekly, you know, monthly, yearly basis. You have to have some sort of decision making framework that allows you to first pre vet the deal to see if it's worth spending your time. And then from there, then you can dispatch some of those deals to your qualified. And I say qualified, meaning that someone that's in your best interest that can tell you straight up, this is something that you should not do. Um, I think every professional athlete needs someone in their corner that can advise them on that particular skill set. And not that doesn't necessarily mean that you should have your person that's specialized in stocks looking at real estate investments, right? Because there are two different things, right? And vice versa, right? But I think, you know, if, if you're a professional athlete out there that is trying to get into different asset classes, you know, find someone that can be a mentor and, you know, have them on your team. And that might be maybe compensating them something small for their time for looking at deals or whatever the case may be. But the point is that, you know, you need your team of, of advisors to look after you, right? Because your goal is to make as much money on the field, right? And you and I know how the NFL is, and that's a different conversation for another day. But you have to maximize that earning potential within a small window, which you've done a great, amazing job at. I appreciate you, man. And I think that, like, you you know, just adding on to that is like, because you, you brought it up so well, it's like, it's not necessarily getting your stock portfolio manager to to review your real estate deals or your venture investment deals, because they don't, one, they don't get paid off of it too, or a lot of times they don't get paid off of it, but their incentives are different. You know, the quickest way, I, I'm a butcher of the quote, but uh, so I'm going to make up my own, right? But when I go into a room, I, I I want to know how everyone eats. I want to know how you survive, how you put food on your plate and your family's plate. Because if I know how you eat, then I know where you're going to steer me. If you're the insurance salesperson, you're going to steer me to a bunch of different insurance policies, right? If you're the real estate folks, you're going to steer me to the real estate, right? So whatever it is, like know how people are incentivized because then that'll help you uncover their bias. And the other thing, especially for pro athletes, but just I'll say anybody in general, moguls in general, is you want to make sure that that team of advisors, like they can remove their ego. That is something that is tough to do. And is, you know, I've been developing over time with my team is like because there's some people who if you're not doing my deal, I don't like this other deal. Right. I want you to ask tough questions. I want you to poke holes in my my thesis. But I also want you to be willing and comfortable to invest if I brought a stellar deal to you as well, too. And so that's one of the things that I will say, you know, you can develop that over time. But I've found that, again, once you uncover people's biases and you can really take time to understand their their ego and where their motives lie, then that's when hopefully over time you can separate the real from the fake and you build your team that wants to see your portfolio and net worth grow because they know that that, again, it should also incentivize and help them as well, too. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the key there is just alignment of interests, right? And we know that, you know, professional athletes have been preyed upon, as I mentioned, but um, just make sure that your team is qualified and is in your best interest is the best way to put it. So, 
from an athlete's perspective, what do you think is the next best thing for athletes to do moving forward from a collaboration perspective? That's something that you and I talk about all the time offline. Like, what is the next best step for athletes to collaborate on a high level that you think? Yeah, it's really simple. It's talk more. It's making more time for each other and for conversations like this. It's being able to come around a boardroom table and and sit down and share what you're doing without looking for anything from each other, sharing your mistakes as well as your wins so that other people in the room will be like, dang, I didn't even know that existed. Hold on. Hold on. What? They, they, your agent stole what from you? Hold on. Who? Who you with again? Oh, man. I got him too. Or her too. Hold up. Let me check my account. Right. Like just talk to each other. Right. The thing is, fortunately, we're some of the most competitive people in the world. Unfortunately, we've been competing against each other since rivals and scout and five star. You got four stars. How he got four stars. I got three and a half stars. Oh, no. Forget him. And then now we get to the next level and I'm trying to get drafted over you. And then now we get to the next level and now I'm trying to get playtime. I'm trying to get a bigger contract than you. I like you. I you really cool dude. I want to see you do well, but not as good as me, right? Like, I just want you to be one step below me, right? Because I'm a competitor. And unfortunately, that type of mentality has, in my opinion, crossed over off the field. It's hard to look at somebody as competition for the majority of your life and then now want to do business with them and want to break bread with them. And so, It keeps us in a crabs in a barrel mentality, so to speak. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's intentional. I just think it's subliminal, right? It's something that's been baked into us over time. And so I think the simplest thing we could start doing is having mastermind roundtable sessions, having discord groups or chat groups and just talking about things and updating folks like business wise and non business wise personally as well, too. And so I think that that would be just the one major step that I can see is like the next step is simple, but it's also just making time. And the final thing, again, we were talking offline is like, you know, a lot of times we look, we as a, and I'll put it as a culture and and a culture of athletes, a culture of black men, specifically talking about myself. Let's use an I statement here. You know, I won't generalize or put it on anybody else, but like I have made the mistake of always looking externally and outward for the solutions to my problems, right? Like, oh, I need money. I need funding. Oh, I need this. I need that. Oh, man, I'm trying to get like you. I'm trying to get like this. I'm trying to own this. And so I look outwards all the time as opposed to first saying, okay, I'm trying to get that. Okay, let me look at my network. Hmm. What do I have right here around me in the room, right? Like most of us, we want food, right? Well, I don't know. Everybody's different, right? But like, you know, because it's so easy to order out nowadays, right? Like if you get hungry, you're like, man, like, let me see what I can order and get the drop right off at the crib. As opposed to like, yo, let me look in the pantry real quick. What we got here that we can put together, right? And so that's one of the things that I'm personally challenging myself to do now and from here on out is just to maximize where my feet are, maximize the room, maximize my relationships and not maximize and just take, take, take. Yannick, give me this. Yannick, give me that. Yannick, give me your time. No, nah, but like, just understand you and your relationships more and understand what adds value to you. And, oh, well, you trying to do that? Well, it's easy for me to make an intro to such and such over here who's trying to do that as well, too. And, like, if we just maximized our internal 
relationships and mental bandwidth more, I think that right there alone, it changes. It literally changes the game overnight. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think that is the thing that is the hardest to do, right, is to get a bunch of athletes together in a room at the same time and have them all communicate and collaborate on just knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? That is something that it seems like it's the toughest part to get over the hill. But I think for us to transcend into the direction and the potential that we have, because we started off as athletes that really didn't have any education, right? We didn't know anything. We just signed all these contracts, turned out to be bad contracts. Now the modern day athlete is signing good deals. They have better representation because of the access to information, right? And there's a lot of money to be made off of the field. Now I think the next step is for us to, like you mentioned, start looking within the network and really talk to each other and collaborate and just learn from each other. Because a lot of times we've dealt with or ran into similar situations that we can all learn from, right? Because the professional athlete's background is a little bit different from your average person. The mentality is just a little bit different. The competitiveness is just a little bit different. And all of that has been a part of our DNA, in a sense, Mm. since we started playing sports, right? So we just need to reverse or recode that DNA in a way that allows us to work with each other. We can still be competitive, but from a perspective of competing together, which is the same thing that we do currently on the field Mm. as well. I I completely agree with you, man. It's uh, When we get that right, it's again, it's a game changer. And I think that, like you said, the access to information is uh, the barriers to information are the lowest that they've ever been. My grandfather played in the NFL. I believe you knew that he played for 11 years. Like when he did his contract, like he didn't have no choice, right? Like we're standing on the shoulders of guys like himself, 65 through 76, right? His starting quarterback was Johnny Unitas, who would be in comparison today, he would be the, you know, I guess he would be like the Aaron Rodgers of that era, right? Like, his contract was seven grand for the year. Like they had to have multiple jobs. They were substitute teachers in the off season, which is wild to think about. They didn't have no choice. We have a choice. <laughs> like we literally have a choice. And so we, your choice is make an excuse of what you can't do or the time you don't have or whatever, or the choice is, okay, how do I maximize this? How do I maximize these relationships? How do I maximize this platform? How do I maximize my money? How do I maximize my time? And I think now we have, I mean, this is a fact. Now there's a bigger opportunity than ever to do that with technology and social media and podcasts like this. And hopefully next year it becomes even better of an opportunity. It's just the way technology continues to advance us. So if you're not inspired by what guys like LeBron James are doing or uh, what Shonda Rhimes does or what Oprah has done or what Tyler Perry is doing and how they are not just, they're figuring out a way to do live their dreams, but also do really good business at the same time, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and, and act and create movies, but I'm also going to own the real estate as well too, right? Like now you're starting to layer your dreams on and that's when you start to become a mogul. When your production company is paying the rent for your real estate and then you're also getting other rents. And then now, again, that's when you start to become a mogul. And so I'm inspired by folks like that, the Kevin Hart's of the world and, and, you know, shoot, the Yannick Cujo Virgil's of the world. So I'm going to just keep going, my brother. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I'm so happy we had a chance to have this conversation. We touched on 
professional athletes mindset, your journey in real estate, you know, your mindset from active versus passive, a ton of knowledge that I think our listeners really enjoyed and, and can really benefit from, you know, if our listeners want to follow you, you know, learn from you, uh, get in touch with you, possibly, you know, what's the best way for them to get in contact? In order to follow me, you can go to brandoncopeland.com. Uh, that's my site. You'll see any and all information, all the things we're involved in there. Uh, you can also follow me on social media at bcope51, B-C-O-P-E-5-1. And then finally, if you want to, you can text your boy. You can text your boy at 917-909-4915 and text me mogul. Just text me mogul. I'll lock you in and then that'll make sure I'm shooting you updates on what I'm doing in the real estate world. But then also, you know, again, everything's about community. Everything's about accountability. And for me, being around positive people. So iron sharpens iron. These journeys, the mogul marathon. I mean, look, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like marathon, that joint is not always pretty. And sometimes you need you need that accountability group that can help lift you up and remind you how amazing you actually are. Remind you it's just a little season. So again, 917-909-4915. Absolutely, man. It was a great uh, show today. Thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Again, thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Again, please leave a review. Uh, it really helps with the show's visibility. And until next time, be sure to be great, take action, and remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.